On the show today, six Russian military officers are charged by the U.S. over a series of high-profile cybersecurity incidents. A flaw in Google's Waze app allowed people to identify and track its users. Instagram agrees to crack down on hidden advertising. Our scam of the day promises you a package that's been abandoned at the Atlanta airport. And today's tip shows you how you can protect your car from hacking. All of that and more is coming up on the October 22nd, 2020 edition of Cybersecurity Made Personal. Helping you stay safe in a connected world. This is Cybersecurity Made Personal. Hello and welcome to the Cybersecurity Made Personal podcast, the safest podcast on the internet. I'm your host, Jim Herman. We kick off the news beat in the courtroom, where the U.S. Justice Department announced charges against six Russian military officials for a series of high-profile cybersecurity incidents. The targets include the French presidential election, the Ukrainian power grid, the now-delayed South Korean Olympics, a healthcare system in Pennsylvania, and a series of other American businesses. In total, the attacks are believed to have caused billions of dollars in losses and disrupted the lives of people all around the globe. U.S. Attorney Scott Brady stated that the attacks are some of the most destructive and costly in history. Now, in my opinion, this is all for show. Russia is not going to allow members of its military to be brought to the United States to face these charges, especially since their activity was probably endorsed by the Russian government itself. The biggest impact this will have on their lives will be in the area of travel. If one of these individuals is found in a country friendly to the United States, they could be extradited here to face these charges. Moving on to news from Google, the company has revealed that it's patched a flaw in its Waze app that exposed identity and location data of its users. Security engineer Peter Gasper discovered the flaw in the Waze API, which allowed him to monitor the movements of drivers and even identify them. Gasper reported the bug in January, and the flaw was patched in August. For those unfamiliar with the app, Waze uses crowdsourced data to assist with GPS routing. For example, if a traffic jam is reported on one route, Waze will use that information to help you find a faster alternative route. So if you're using the Waze app, now is the time to check and ensure that it has been updated to the latest version. Moving on to news from Instagram, British regulators announced that Instagram has agreed to clamp down on hidden advertising. UK regulators expressed concern that Instagram wasn't doing enough to crack down on influencers who accept money in exchange for promotion without revealing that it was a paid advertisement. Under the new policy, Instagram will ask users to confirm if they are receiving anything in exchange for promotion, and it will require it to clearly be indicated that it is a paid promotion. Instagram has also agreed to implement automated tools to detect users 
who are not identifying their posts as promotions. Instagram also announced it is planning to roll out new tools that will permit users to easily add a paid promotion banner on their posts. And now we move on to our scam of the day. Today's scam arrived in my inbox a couple months ago. It says that it's from Mr. David Moyes. Now, I don't know if there's actually a David Moyes who works for the United Nations in Atlanta, but I'm familiar with the name because he happens to be the man in charge of the English soccer team, West Ham United. Unlike many of our past scams, the email address is actually one that makes sense in context of the scam. DavidMoyes926 at gmail.com The subject line just reads, Good news. And the email reads, Dear Owner, I am Mr. David Moyes, Head Officer in Charge, Administrative Service Inspection Unit, United Nations Inspection Agency, in Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport, Atlanta, Georgia. During our investigation, I discovered an abandoned shipment through a diplomat from United Kingdom, which was transferred from JF Kennedy Airport to our facility here in Atlanta. And when scanned, it revealed an undisclosed sum of money in two metal trunk boxes weighing approximately 110 kilograms each. The consignment was abandoned because the content was not properly declared by the consignee as money, rather it was declared as personal effect classified document to either avoid diversion by the shipping agent or confiscation by the relevant authorities. The diplomat's inability to pay for non-inspection fees, among other things, are the reason why the consignment is delayed and abandoned. By my assessment, each of the boxes contains about $4 million or more. They are still left in the airport storage facility till today. The consignments, like I said, are two metal trunk boxes weighing about 110 kilograms each, internal dimension width 61 by height 156 by depth 73 centimeters, effective capacity 680 liters approximately. The details of the consignment, including your name and email on the official document from the United Nations office in London, where the shipment was tagged as personal effects or classified document, is still available with us. As it stands now, you have to reconfirm your full name, phone number, full address, so I can cross-check and see if it corresponds with the one on the official documents. It is now left to you to decide if you still need the consignment or allow us to repatriate it back to UK, place of origin, as we were instructed. Reply to this email, davidmoyes926 at gmail.com. As I did say again, the shipper abandoned it and ran away most importantly because he gave a false declaration. He could not pay for the yellow tag, he could not secure a valid non-inspection document, etc. I am ready to assist you in any way I can for you to get back this packages, provided you will also give me something out of it, financial gratification. You can either come in person or you can engage the services of a secure shipping delivery company that will provide the necessary security that is required to deliver the package to your doorstep or the destination of your choice. I need all the guarantee that I can get from you before I can get involved in this project. Please reply this email strictly at davidmoyes926 at gmail.com. Best regards, 
David Moyes. Until the very end, this email actually had some really good grammar. It was going really well until you got to that last paragraph or so. But obviously, the purpose of this email is to get you to pay the fee that will allow the package to be released. In case you didn't know, don't pay the fee. You're never going to get what you've been promised. If you find a scam that you think we'd like to read on the show, send it to scam at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com. And now it's time for our cybersecurity pop quiz. Each episode, I'll ask you a question in the field of online security or privacy, and it's your job to figure out the right answer. Today's question is a multiple answer question, so any of these options could be correct. The question is, which of these are principles for good management of your passwords? A. Use a combination of letters, numbers, and symbols. B. Pick a really long password and use it everywhere. C. Use a combination of your child's name and your pet's name. D. Write down your password in a notebook you keep in your laptop bag. Or E. Avoid the use of patterns like 12345. The answer will be revealed in next week's episode. But if you want to know it right away, you can go to cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash popquiz to find out if you're right. Plus, if you submit your guess on the website, regardless of whether you're right or wrong, you can be entered to win a $25 Amazon gift card when we conclude Season 2 in February. But your guess to this question must be submitted before the next episode is released at 8 a.m. on Monday, October 26th. For official rules, visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash quiz rules. Last week's question was, which of these is the most secure form of two-factor authentication? A. Receiving a code sent to your inbox. B. Receiving a code sent to your mobile phone. C. Using Google Authenticator to generate an extra code. Or D. Using a USB or Bluetooth device that authorizes your login. The correct answer is D. In case you're curious, I actually ordered the answers from least secure to most secure. A code sent to your inbox is the least secure method because all that would be required would be to access your email account. There's programs that can probably get someone into your email account if they really want to. A code to your phone is a little more secure because someone would have to trick your phone provider into switching your phone number to a different phone, an attack known as SIM swapping. While your phone provider should have procedures in place to prevent this kind of attack, it does still happen sometimes. A code through Google Authenticator is more secure because there's no way for someone else to access it. Once you have it set up on your devices, you can't access it from another device. However, with all three of these methods, there's still the possibility that you could be tricked into giving the code to an attacker. With a USB or Bluetooth device, there isn't a code that you could be tricked into providing, and creating a counterfeit device with the right authentication keys is almost impossible. 
The only reasonable attack against it is theft of the device, which makes it the least likely to be attacked and also the most secure option. Have you ever given any thought to the possibility that your car could be hacked? If your car has a connected entertainment system, it's certainly possible. We'll discuss five ways to protect a connected car when we come back from this short break. Hey, it's Jim. I just wanted to take a few seconds to tell you about a brand new class I'll be teaching. It's called the Five Day Security Boost. For five days from November 9th through November 13th, I'll be live on Facebook at 9 p.m. each night teaching you about five quick changes that will make a huge difference in your online safety. It's a great opportunity to not just learn about online security, but also to ask me any questions that you might have. And if you can't make it live, you can still sign up because replays will be available through November 20th. For more information or to sign up, visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash securityboost. A few years ago, I rented a car for a trip. As I was exploring the features of this new rental car, I tapped on the contacts button. To my surprise, the screen filled with a long list of contacts that weren't even mine. The car had downloaded the contacts of previous drivers and it still had them saved even though the phones weren't still connected. I'm sure the previous drivers of that car had no idea that they would later expose their entire contact list to others by syncing the phone with the car. If your car was made in the last few years, you probably can sync your phone to it, and you might even be able to add additional sources of data, such as GPS maps, streaming music, and more. Newer cars, especially those on the luxury end, might even be able to lock the doors or start the car from anywhere through a phone app. But if you're not careful, your car could end up with just as much data about you as your phone. But have you given any thought to the security of your car's systems? Here are six ways that you can protect the data about you that's stored on your car. First, be careful about what you sync. Every car is going to ask before it copies any data from your phone. Even on my own personal car, I don't grant the car access to my contacts, my call history, or my text messages. Remember, data can't be compromised from your car if it's never on your car in the first place. That does render some features of my car unavailable, but I've always been able to duplicate those features with my phone. For example, without syncing my contacts, I can't use my car to look up people's information and call them, but I can use Siri on my phone to accomplish the same goal. I'm not saying that this means no one should ever sync their phone with their car, just that you should be careful and not automatically sync everything without having a purpose for it. If the data doesn't give you an additional benefit by being on your car, there's no reason to have it stored there in the first place. Second, 
be careful with apps and web browsing. Some cars allow you to install apps and even browse the internet from the car. However, be careful with the sites you visit and the apps you install. Don't install unapproved apps just because someone says they're available and good, and only visit reputable sites. Third, make sure you're using a strong password for the account connected to your car. Many manufacturers will now allow you to perform actions on your car remotely using your phone. That way, you can lock your car if you realize you forgot, or you can start it up to let it warm up in the cold weather. However, if you don't protect your account, someone else could be able to use that same access to take these actions on your car. You don't want to walk out to your car and find it unlocked with all of your valuables stolen from it. Fourth, pay attention to both recall notices and software updates. Just like computers and mobile devices, many security issues in your car's software can be fixed through software updates. If your car says it needs to install an update, do it. However, there may occasionally be instances where your car will need to get an update from the dealer. If you get a recall notice for your car, don't ignore it just because it's a software update. The recall could be fixing a security flaw. Fifth, make sure you trust the shop where you take the car for repairs. If you take the car in for repairs, the mechanic could decide to start browsing the data on the car. If you have sensitive data that's been synced with your car, it might be a good idea to delete it before you take the car in. Even if you wouldn't consider the information sensitive, you still want to make sure that you can trust the repair shop. You don't want a nosy mechanic browsing through your contacts or your text messages. But the problems could extend far beyond someone just browsing through your contacts or your text messages. A mechanic who wanted further access could install software on your car that allows it to access your data. This software might tell your phone to send all its data to another source on the internet, or it could even install ransomware on your car or your phone. And finally, step number six is along the same lines. Be sure you remove all your data before you sell the car, or in the case of a rental car, before you return it. We're going to spend a little time here covering some of the information that you need to remove. The obvious way to remove all of your data is to do a reset of the memory. Every car should have the option to do this. If you don't see it available, check in the car's manual for instructions. But even if you do a complete reset, make sure you follow up and ensure that everything has actually been deleted. First, Check the contact list, the call history, and the text message history. Make sure there's nothing left in any of these categories. If there is, delete them manually. Second, delete any other connections your car may have with other devices. Make sure your car doesn't still connect to your phone through Bluetooth. If it does, disconnect it from the car. And while you're at it, delete the saved connection on your phone as well. Eliminate any possibility of a connection between your phone and the car. However, you may also have your car connected with other devices. For example, many smart garage doors are now able to connect directly with your car. 
make sure you've removed that connection so the next owner can't open up your home. Third, delete your map data. If you have GPS built into your car, you could have a history of everywhere you've been. You could also have your home address programmed into the device. Make sure that you remove it before you sell the car. Fourth, make sure you delete any subscriptions you may have. Many cars now allow you to purchase subscriptions to services, such as music streaming, GPS, or even satellite radio. Before you sell your car, make sure you've canceled these subscriptions or that you've transferred them over to your new car. Finally, make sure you take any removable storage devices with you. Your phone could have USB or SD card connections that you can use for storing music, podcasts, and more. Make sure that you remove these devices from the car and take them with you. Imagining the future of cars right now is pretty incredible. As cars become more automatic, they're going to become more focused on providing entertainment for us. One day, you might pack your family in the car for a road trip, and everyone in the family will be able to kick back and enjoy a movie or stream a sporting event while the car drives itself to your vacation spot. However, before we can get to that point, we need to make sure that our cars keep our data safe. You can keep your personal data safe by making smart choices about data syncing, being careful with apps and web browsing, watching for software updates and recall notices, taking your car to reputable mechanics only, and making sure that no data is left before you sell your car. That's it for today. Thank you for listening, and come back again next Monday, where our tip will discuss eight security checks that you should perform on a regular basis. Until next time, stay safe. Thanks again for joining us for the Cybersecurity Made Personal podcast. Check out the show notes page linked in the description for links to the articles mentioned, more information about today's tip, and a transcription of this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you would consider visiting our welcome page at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash welcome. There, you can find more information about the show and links to some of our most popular episodes. Cybersecurity Made Personal is provided for educational purposes only. Don't take any action on your computer unless you fully understand what you are doing and the possible consequences. Visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash disclaimer for more information. Cybersecurity Made Personal is a production of Personal Cybersecurity, LLC. I'm Jim Herman. Thanks for listening and stay safe.